Here we are, it's Friday, March 24th, and we're still getting crisis developments. We're still getting crisis level of data in key market segments, monetary segments. Today, wild market swings, bond yields plummeting, euro dollar futures contracts, prices bid up 20, 30 basis points in some parts on the curve. Unusual swings. Now, the market has calmed down a bit since this morning, but still, it shows that everyone is still on edge, even though the March seasonal low point, the bottleneck, that was more than a week ago. In fact, we're moving up on 10 days since that happened. The Fed has come in, coordinated action with central banks around the world. Credit Suisse found a buyer in UBS. And yet, again, everybody is so on edge, so ready to relearn the lessons of Bear Stearns. Because it's not about Bear Stearns like it wasn't a long time ago. It's not about Credit Suisse, and it's not about the bank that everybody's talking about this morning, which is Deutsche Bank. The rumors are swirling around that German bank because it's all about the tide going out. We can see the tide receding, not just at the seasonal low point in March, but still after it, which is leading to the lessons of Bear Stearns being acted out in the marketplace. So as the tide is going out, as the old, old saying goes, we can see who's been swimming naked. Well, we knew Credit Suisse was swimming naked. They were the ones closest to the shore. So they're the first one exposed by the tide. Deutsche Bank, there's not really a supply, surprise there. What is a surprise is why now? Why is Credit Suisse finally taken over by UBS with a tremendous amount of support for the Swiss National Bank, as well as the Swiss government? Because up until now, Authorities in Switzerland had been willing and absolutely that they wanted to continue uh, Credit Suisse to continue as an operating firm as nothing more than national pride. They had let it just twist in the wind for how many years have we been talking about this troubled bank as being a troubled bank? So why now all of a sudden Credit Suisse has to be taken over by UPS with a ton of support from the government? Again, it's the tide going out. So it's not about the swimmers, it's about the tide. So it's incumbent upon us to figure out, well, what is the tide? Can we measure it? Can we see what the, what the ocean is doing and how it's exposing all of these various naked participants in the system? And I think we need to start as always with the lessons of Bear Stearns. I'm gonna come back to these quite a bit, I fear, over the next several weeks and months. They are, Banks building liquidity buffers. They're going to do whatever they can to raise as much cash as possible, not just cash, also collaterals, we'll see, to get it into their books so that they can, so they don't become the next Bear Stearns or Credit Suisse. Because even though Credit Suisse was taken over by UBS, if your Credit Suisse was your Credit Suisse cocoa bond holder, it's not been a good time for you. Losses, uh, that kind of thing, not good. So build your cash buff buffer, de-risk your portfolio. That's hard for us to really see in real time. We can get a sense of that when statements are, or when uh, publications are made, bank statements and things like that. But de-risking, we have to infer from the other two, which cash buffer and the final one, which is hedging the hell out of everything, which that one we can see, that one we can see in real time. Not only have we had major moves in Euro dollar futures, that's not the only market. You see some of the massive swings in treasury bonds, German bonds, European, all the, all the fixed income indications that tell you unequivocally 
lots of fear. Not a lot of faith in anything central banks are doing, nor anything that they're saying. Hedging the hell out of everything, which goes along with our three characteristics of the tide going out. But today I want to focus on especially the first of those, building the cash buffer, because that's an important one. As these firms feel they need to bring to build up their cash cushion, that is a symptom of the tide going out as well as propelling the tide further out because the more cash that gets hoarded, the more collateral that gets hoarded by these firms, the less there is extended into these marketplaces. So the more everybody hoards cash, the less there is, the less liquidity there is for markets and the economy. It's not just about finance, it's also about real, real economy. So we're gonna measure the tide from the perspective of cash and collateral buffers, key developments, crisis level data that just got released yesterday, all of that's next. But first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me, I really appreciate it. If you're interested, Eurodollar University memberships, the background details, what is money, how does it work, how can we figure out what the euro dollar does and what is it telling us? All that stuff, exclusive video content at eurodollar.university. Also research subscriptions, what's going on right now? What do we need to know? And what is it telling us about what's gonna happen in the future? I do a daily briefing that's in partnership with Markets Insider Pro. You can check that out at Eurodollar University or marketsinsiderpro.com. We also have a deep dive analysis where I dive deep into all of these things, crisis level data. You better believe that we're gonna dive deep into that. Also, eurodollar.universe. In fact, that's all your information about memberships and research subscriptions, eurodollar.university. So we already know that banks in the system have been building up credit buffers, not credit buffers, cash buffers. Uh, that's what's going on at the primary credit discount window. Some of that's emergency funding, but some of it is just banks saying, you know what, I don't really want to, but you know, the Fed isn't gonna, isn't gonna report my name for two years, so why not take a little bit of extra cash just in case? So the use, the heavy use, the 2008, more than 2008 levels of use of the discount window primary credit, that's a sign of building cash buffers, not good, tide going out. The FHLB advances that I talked about. Uh, we don't have the data on the advances yet because that doesn't come out until the FHLBs actually put out their, their uh, balance sheet reports. In fact, I think today they're just reporting on the fourth quarter. So the information we got was from unnamed sources reported through Bloomberg. The FHLBs are issuing a ton of debt. And the only reason they would issue a ton of debt is for these advances. So we're, it's, not, it's, it's not direct evidence, but it's only one step removed. So reasonable, huge advances from the FHLBs, therefore building up cash cushions as well as emergency funding, therefore the tide going out. But I also wanna talk about especially treasury bills. We talk a lot about treasury bills for a lot of good reasons. They're a place to, they're a money alternative. If you're afraid of anything in the marketplace for whatever reason, treasury bills are a safe and liquid alternative to other, other cash uh, opportunities. So safety and liquidity, go to treasury bills. That's a crisis type of thing. And of course, collateral. We talk about collateral a lot because collateral is its own inside currency. In fact, it's probably the, it's more currency than anything the Federal Reserve has ever dreamed up in its existence. 
it's that it's that important to the global marketplace and the global marketplace that runs on this US dollar denomination. So treasury bills are sit right at the top of the currency pyramid if there exists such a thing in this wholesale ledger virtual currency system that we use. So either whether it's safety or whether it's collateral, and we're gonna see some of both in these results, tide going out, lots of demand for treasury bills. Lots of demand for treasury bills. Now last week, the US Treasury had some form of glitch. They still really haven't said. We can infer something happened in TAPS, which again, we don't really need to know what that was. It doesn't seem to have made much of a difference. The four and eight week bill uh, auctions, which are usually held on Thursday, got delayed until last Friday, produced some results, some eye-opening results, as I mentioned last week. We had the low end of those auctions at 0% yields, which meant that participants were buying four and eight week treasury bills and willing to forego every last bit of return just to make sure they got those instruments. That's entirely about collateral, not flight to safety. That's so... I want to make sure that I have the best quality collateral, so I'm going to make I'm going to bid the maximum amount possible, pay a huge premium, just so I have these things available. But it wasn't just last week. Now Treasury managed to do their four and eight week bill sales this week on Thursday. No glitches and taps, no repeats there, and the results were even more astounding than they were last week, which is already astounding because, remember, the Federal Reserve came out last Sunday for the second Sunday in a row and said, dollar swaps, we got these things, now we're going to do daily auctions, you don't have to worry about a thing. The Swiss government, the Swiss National Bank said, we've got Credit Suisse cover, you don't have to worry about a thing. And yet, Treasury bill auctions yesterday, Thursday, March 23rd, the numbers are just, you just got to shake your head here. Now remember, Thursday, also yesterday, was the first day that the Fed rate hikes became effective. So RRP yesterday was moved up to 480. So 480, if, you, if nothing else, if you had no other consideration except investments and returns, why would you ever accept anything less than 480? If you can go to the Fed's reverse repo program, you can get 4.8% with absolutely no risk. Not only is it no risk because it's the Fed, they're also collateralizing this. That's why it's a reverse repo. You're getting collateral back from the Fed and pocketing a 4.8% annual return. It's why would you do anything less than that? But instead, the entire four and eight week auctions were well below 480. I mean, well below 480. The eight week auction, the high yield, which is the highest yield, the that the, uh, that, that the uh, Treasury Department accepted. So the lowest price, highest yield was 4.4. That's 40 basis points below the current RRP. That's the high yield. The median was 4.3, 50 basis points below the RRP. And the low yield, of course, for the second week in a row was zero at the eight week Treasury bill auction. The four week bill auction yesterday, the high yield was 4.15. That is, what, 65 basis, my math correct? 65 basis points less than RRP at the high yield. The entire auction went down from there. The median was exactly four. So that's 80 basis points less than RRP. This is the stuff that we saw, the same kind of results that we saw in the wake of Bear Stearns 15 years ago. So again, it's the tide going out, building up the cash and collateral, uh, collateral buffers, and 
yes, for the four-week auction, the four-week bill auction, zero low yield. For the second week running, participants in the market are so in demand, such high demand for the best of the best collateral, they're willing to pay the absolute maximum just to secure them. And the fact that they're doing it for the four and eight weeks suggests that they want to have those bills in hand for as long as they possibly can. I want those bills for the next eight weeks because I'm not really sure the next eight weeks are going to be all that smooth. The tide going out. So now, there's, you know, the question here is, can we... Can we find more data? I mean, this data is pretty compelling. I mean, the, the results here in these auctions and what we see in the marketplace, because I mean, we've, we've talked about the collateral runs that you can see in the secondary market, the real-time bill prices, especially, you know, last week. Um, we, could, we could see these collateral runs happening, which is why they're betting at auction, because you don't want to be one of those participants left in the middle of the day and suddenly the four-week bill yield plummets, you know, 60 basis points because there's a massive collateral call or something that went on during the day. You don't want to be in that position, so build up your collateral cushion ahead of time. That's what we're seeing here. But can we find any corroborating data that tells us that collateral is so short that it's causing people to do these kinds of things? Can we find more evidence that the tide really is going out and is going out in such a severe and even rapid fashion that it's consistent with all these indications and collateral and whatnot? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes, we can. Let's start with repo fails, which is focused entirely on collateral itself. Now, repo fails was sort of maybe, yes, kind of on the border. The number that the FRBNY reported yesterday for the week of March 15th, so that's last week, was $314.6 billion that's combined to receive and to deliver. That's a pretty big number. $314 billion in repo fails any time before the last year would have been, holy crap, this is a big problem. This is getting into, you know, sort of March, it's definitely more than 2019, March 2020, that type of territory. But over the last year, we've seen a massive amount of huge spike in repo fails. So in one sense, 314 billion, while a lot, it was nowhere near last September. And there might be a reason for this. And we'll, I'll get to that in a second. But last September, what you saw was the week of September 21, just as things were starting to erupt, repo fails got to 374.4 billion. So pretty substantial increase elevation. But then the real bad week, September 28th, we saw repo fails surge to 870.4 billion, which is the highest since I think 2016. That's, that's really into 2008 territory, which goes to show that last year we had all sorts of, the tide was going out in, in dangerous fashion at the September bottleneck and after two. But so, repo fails at 8.7, and then the first week of October last year was still 5.20, and that's when we got the Swiss dollar auctions and everything else. So repo fails of 314.6 billion for last week. It's somewhat, um, I don't want to say disappointing, that's not the word. It's, it's less than you would have thought given the massive collateral uh, indications that we got from especially four-week treasury bills and other forms of disruption. But it might be. It might be that just, remember, we have to keep in mind that the, the data we have on repo, fail comes from, repo fails comes from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's survey of primary dealers. So all that is capturing is whatever primary dealers are reporting to them, which leaves a tremendous amount of, especially offshore repo, completely out of it. 
Now, when we see repo fails spike like we did last year, or, you know, 314 last week isn't, you know, that's consistent with what we would expect to see. So it's, even though it's only a partial look inside the repo market, it's probably a reasonable approximation for everything else that's happened. So 314.6 billion, but that still leaves the possibility that there's more out there. So that brings us to another data point. And this other data point comes from also the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, because the New York branch of the Fed also holds a ton, we're talking almost $3 trillion in US treasuries that are owned primarily by foreign official institutions, reserve managers, governments, and central banks. It holds them in New York, on, in custody in New York, on behalf of these foreign reserve managers as a legacy of the foreign correspondent system. But essentially what we've seen over especially the last decade is that when these treasury, when the, when the balance of treasuries in custody at FRBNY goes up, it tends to mean that there's a reflationary business. There's more dollars circulating around the euro dollar system. Therefore, some of those dollars come back as reserves that get parked at the in U.S. Treasuries in custody at FRBNY. Conversely, when dollars get really short and collateral gets really short, we see the balance of these treasuries go down. And during periods where we know dollar shortages are especially acute, that balance goes down by quite a lot. And so what did we see in the uh, FRBNY custody of U.S. Treasuries over the last week? Well, the last couple of weeks, to so go back to March 15th, the balance was down $10.9 which, like repo fails last week, that was sort of, well, not quite. But remember, the stuff outside the U.S., the Credit Suisse, uh, the foreign global stuff, the, the, the global euro dollar shortage that provoked the Fed to make its second Sunday statement about global dollars or central bank dollar swaps, that was more last week than the week before. So the week before, Silicon Valley Bank, U.S. regional banks, more attention there. Then last week, more foreign than domestic. All U.S. dollar, all in the euro dollar system, but focus more on the outside stuff. So Treasury reported yesterday that the amount was the amount of the the, the, the decline in uh, U.S. Treasuries in custody at FRBNY, 76 billion, a massive drain in U.S. Treasuries that were used by foreign officials and governments in some fashion. How big is 76 billion in a one-week change? It's the second largest in history. The data goes back to, I think, 2002 or 2003. So in 20 years of data, lots of trillions of dollars in, in, in these U.S. treasuries, this was the second largest swing in history. The largest was March of 2014. They got 104 billion leave. That had to do with Russian sanctions becoming effective and therefore Russian banks selling their U.S. treasuries. So 76 billion apart from that would be the largest in history. Bigger than 2020, bigger than 2019. In fact, you look at it as a, in a, on a two week period, what it shows is that over the last two weeks, we've seen 86.9, you put the 10 billion together with 76. So 86.9 billion in a two weeks, that is the third largest in history. March, 2014, again, number one, March of 2020, March of 2020, the week of March 25th, so the two worst weeks of the March 2020 crisis, we saw 93.4 billion in U.S. Treasuries move out from custody. So we're in the territory, at least according to this one data point, on par with March of 2020. How about last October? 
Where repo fails haven't got up to the October levels, we've surpassed it in this data point. Last October, U.S. Treasury custody balance fell by $67.4 billion. So my point here is we see this, this type of behavior in U.S. Treasury custody because foreign managers are doing something about collateral shortages and dollar shortages in their local jurisdictions. That's how these things correlate. So it does correlate in one of two or two ways with banks either raising their cash buffers and collateral buffers or suffering the fact that other banks are doing that and leaving them exposed to illiquidity and trying desperately to do something about it. So as I said, here we are, Friday, March 24th, we're seeing crisis level developments, crisis level data, massive amounts of hedging, our lessons of Bear Stearns are still apparent. The tide is going out. And most of all, there is no faith whatsoever in the Federal Reserve or foreign authorities or any of the stuff, the proclamations that everything is fine and that they're telling you on TV and all across the internet. The markets are saying the tide is definitely going out. The lessons of Bear Stearns are being acted on. We can see them happening right in front of us. So stay tuned. This thing is far from over. We still haven't seen any of the real financial or economic fallout. It's still in its earliest phases. I'm Jeff. This is Euro Dollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. A huge, huge, sincere thank you to all the Euro Dollar University subscribers, Markets Insider Pro subscribers, and of course, Euro Dollar University members. Until next time, take care.